Well, good morning. It's good to see you. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Let that be the foundation of this morning's message. Jesus Christ, our living hope. Because we are in the second half of Romans chapter one. If you're familiar at all with the book of Romans, you'll know that the second half is not Mr. Happy Fun Passage, okay? It very well could be, it is, it is, easily one of the saddest passages in the Bible. But it's also God's word and God's truth. So if you, uh, if you grab one of these, uh, if you didn't, you, it's gonna be up on the screen, but if you grabbed one, uh, we're gonna be taking some notes this morning. And the series is called Salvation in Real Life. The encouraging title of the message this morning, the devastation of sin, the devastation of sin. Because sin is devastating on humanity. There's just no two ways about it. Yesterday I stood in the, in the uh, cemetery and talked to an old guy, 13 years older than me, makes him an old guy. And he talked to me about his grandson who died three days ago. And sin is just devastating. I've got 20 years before my grandsons will be the age of his grandson when he died. I can't imagine. I just can't imagine. But it just brought back to me, standing in that graveyard, looking around at all of the graves Sin is devastating, and it devastates people's lives. And here in Romans chapter one, it talks about that. And as I read it, I'm gonna be reading it from the New Living Translation, so you might see some difference. It's the NLT on the screen. And the reason I am is it's a familiar passage to many of us, and when you read it in a different translation, it just makes you think and process it a little bit more uh, closely. It's really the only reason. And I, I, I read through it a number of times this week in this translation, and so I'm going to use that this morning. But last week, we talked about the original good news teaching us who Jesus is and who we are because of Jesus and what love really is, what love really is. But this morning, I want to add to that because the original good news also teaches us that all have sinned and that I am a sinner and that sin is devastating. It's devastating. There's probably a more extreme word, I don't know what the superlative of devastating is, but, but we, can't, we can't overstate how harmful and hurtful sin is to people, real people living their real lives. So this morning in the end of Romans chapter one, the last half, it's really in like two sections. And verses 18 through 25 talks about the devastation of a a sinful mindset. Just a mindset of, oh yeah, everybody sins. It's not even sin. We just all live however we want to. And then the last part of the chapter is the resulting devastating sinful behaviors 
that are, that are listed out. And all of this now, all of this with a foundation though that Jesus Christ is our living hope, is our living hope. In the background is this passage and we see that just the, the hurt and the pain and the devastation of sin, but in the foreground is see the cross and the empty tomb. Because this morning we shared in communion and we remember the body and the blood. Back in Leviticus, the Bible says, the Bible said, God told his people, do not eat the blood because the life is in the blood. You can eat the meat, but not the blood because the life is in the blood. What did Jesus say? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. He didn't mean it literally, but he meant he was willing to give his very life to us and for us. It's, it's symbolic. It's symbolic. But it's the very life of Christ that was given for us. And the life was in his blood and he shed his blood. So as, as we think about, as we think about a, a 3D painting, the foundation is Jesus Christ, our living hope. The background is this passage that we're going to look at. But see first in the foreground the empty tomb and the cross, which I think Bo, Bo uh, referred to as empty. It is. It's empty. It's an empty cross and an empty tomb because Jesus already died. He was already buried, and he's our risen Savior. So I want to walk with you through the first half of this section this morning, verses 18 through 25. We'll just read it. It says, but God... This is right after Paul saying, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It is from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, and he gives two here, his eternal power and his divine nature. You think about a deity, his eternal power, and then his essence, his divine nature. And I lost my spot. Here it is. So they have no excuse, they have no excuse for not knowing God. Since the world was created, they could just look and see the earth and the sky. Verse 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. Let me just do a quick time out here. God abandoned them. See, we really are free agents. We really were created in God's image. We have choice and agency we can decide and do. And when we decide to do, God doesn't you know, reach in the back and pull the SD card out and put in the holy SD card so that all, oh yes, God, we will obey you, we love you, yes, we do. God won't do that because we really are free agents. 
So when we decide that we're going to do something that's against God, at some point in time, God just, okay, there's the door, it's not locked, I don't want you to go out, but, and when that happens, when God abandons them, they're gonna do whatever shameful things we will do, whatever shameful things our hearts desired. And as a result, we've done vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. And I say we because it's humanity, it's, it's people. We have traded the truth about God for a lie. We've worshiped and served the crea- things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. So as we look at this, let us see ourselves in this. Let us see humanity and mankind as a group. This has happened to us since Genesis chapter three when we in Eve chose evil and chose to disobey God, the devastation of sin has had this cascading effect down through the centuries. And it's been devastating to people. And if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your savior, if you've given your life to God and recognized the work of Christ on the cross, you've been delivered from a lot of this, a lot of it. You've been delivered from the condemnation of it, 100%. But not always the consequences of sin. Even as believers, we have to deal with the consequences of sin. So uh, in in your handout, it says a sinful mindset. And I see this sinful mindset play out through this passage. And there's just six quick things here. Number one, a sinful mindset suppresses the truth by wickedness. Even as believers, when we choose sin, when we choose wickedness, we are suppressing the truth. We are dampening the work of the Spirit in our lives. We are are blurring the clarity that God wants to give us when we choose sin over God's desire for us to be holy and over obedience. And it says here in verse 18 that these wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now, part of me wants to say, it's not their fault. They were born sinners. Like, they're good people. It's just that they're sin. But that's not really true. Yeah, we were born, we were born sinners. And we're all evil. But that doesn't mean we don't have worth. Because God shows us that we have worth. God shows us that dead in our trespasses and sins, he loved us. And he came to die for us even when we were dead in our sins. So hear that. Hear the damage and the devastation of sin and let your your stomach turn over the the, the reality of sin. But then hear the, the glorious worth of humanity that God says, I love you. You're made in my image. I'm gonna come and deliver you if you'll only believe and receive me. But this sinfulness, sin literally blinds the minds and the eyes of people to God's good truth, God's good news. All of God's truth is good. It's all good, but sin, blinds our minds and our eyes to it. The second thing is sinful mindset refuses to worship God. It says 
in verse 20, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature still, or so they have no excuse. I was talking to a young person the other day and I used my farmer's field analogy where in a very short amount of time from now, you can go down the gravel and you can look at a farmer's field and when the, the crops are just this high, it's so cute. It's so cute when they're only this high. And you can stand on the gravel, you can look down, you can see all these neat rows. And I've said, I've used this illustration before, I know, you've heard it. Nobody would walk down a gravel road and say, look at that field and say, ah, it's not a farmer. It's just, it's just kind of, that field has just worked its way to where now it's growing like that. Nobody would say that. Everybody knows there was a guy or there was a guy who had a machine that had GPS, but there was a guy there was, or, or, or a woman, there was a farmer who planted that field. And this is what God is saying here. They kept through everything God has made, you can clearly see that he has got eternal power and divine nature and people really People are without excuse for, of knowing God. You know, if you look around this room, there is not a thing that you can see in this room, not a thing that hasn't been specifically created by somebody for a very particular specific purpose. They've, fabric- they've designed it, they've fabricated it, they've manufactured it, they've marketed it for a certain purpose, they've figured out the business plan, they put a price on it, and we all gave, back then you all gave, I wasn't here then, and you bought it, you paid money for it. There's not a thing in this room that just, oh, it's just some stuff that was somewhere, and we brought it in, it's, and it's turned into that, and then we just use it. We know that's not true. God is saying, listen, I created the stars, the expanse. I created the Milky Way. I created all the sand on the seashore. I created the ocean and the tides and the seasons and time. I created all this. All you gotta do really is just look around and say, wow, there's a God. There's a God. But a sinful mindset refuses to worship this God. They wouldn't worship him. You know, sin's very nature is obstinate rejection. The stiff arm, Mm-mm. nope, not gonna do it. Third sinful mindset, number three, develops foolish thoughts about God. Hey, when you're not gonna believe the truth, what else is there? It's just foolishness. It says that they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. We see this all around the world more and more clearly as time goes on. We see this happening. People's minds becoming dark and confused and their ideas of who God is and what God does, it's called folk theology, backyard theology. Um, Funeral home theology. None of it's really any good. There's just foolish thoughts about God. Hollywood theology. It's just, it's just foolishness. 
Number four, a sinful mindset is totally willing to worship idols. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols. See, worship is in our DNA. We are going to worship something or someone. We're going to worship ourselves. We're going to worship some other powerful person. We're going to worship wealth or status. We're going to worship uh, pleasure. We're going to worship something. And a sinful mindset refuses to worship God, but instead is going to worship idols. We will erect all kinds of other idols to worship. I think it's Jeremiah who talks about the guy who goes out in the woods and he fells this tree and he cuts it in half and half of it he cuts up for firewood. In the other half, he stands it on end and gets some L brackets so it won't fall and then he kind of carves it or paints it and he worships it as a god. And it's written in Jeremiah in such a way that it's kind of like, that's kind of ridiculous. And it really is, but we really do that. We may not fell a tree, but we may take a part of our life that's just this rando part of our life. We worship that or this person in our lives and we, we worship them. Anything but God, because God has requirements for us. He gives us way more than he ever asks from us, but he still has some asking. He has some requirements for us. Number five, a sinful mindset trades the truth about God for a lie. It says right there in verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. So let's be clear what's happening. We're trading what's over here on screen number one with what's over here showing up in just a moment on screen number two. Whenever we make the trade-off with God, we trade truth for something else is never a good trade-off. It's never a good one. You know, when you raise kids, you watch your kids when they have independence, whether it's that they're just start setting off on their first steps, and you're wanting them to take the right steps to when they're older, going out into the neighborhood to play with their friends, or when they're older yet, getting involved in high school things with their friends, or then when they go off to college, you're hoping that they make the right trade-offs because we're always trading our time and our attention for something. We want our kids to make the right trade-offs. And God wants us to not trade the truth about him for a lie. And that's what it is. It's a bad trade every time. It looks like it's gonna be good, but it's really a bad trade-off. And then it's number six, the sinful mindset. Worships creation instead of the creator. And again, he comes out and he says this, so they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself. This is original idolatry. It's where there's only one supreme being. There he is. He says, worship me, have no other gods before me. And then we look at everything he's created and we pick something to worship. That's the original sin. I'm gonna to choose to believe me. And I'm gonna choose my desire over you, God, even though me and my desires were created by you. God is always the best choice. He's the, even though we have access to the real McCoy, the genuine article, we're willing to worship other things. See, sin is deceptive. It's deceptive. It lays out this promise. And it says, come on, come on, here's this promise. And you go for it, 
and you never get it. You know, it gets you to follow it and follow, follow, follow. You get way off track and then you go to grab it and nope, can't have it. But look where you are. Look what you got to deal with. Look how long it's going to take you to get back to the right path, to where God wants you. Sin is horrible. It's horrible. So much pain, so much devastation in our world. Talk to somebody this mo- just this morning about a situation in their life. It is a result of sin. And there's pain and there's devastation. And it's ongoing, right? It's ongoing. It's not like it's gonna stop tomorrow. But remember, that's the background in this 3D picture. The foundation is Jesus Christ, our living hope. And the foreground is the empty tomb and the cross. But Paul, as he's writing about what is salvation, what is salvation in real life? He doesn't, he doesn't soft pedal it. Right at the front end, he says, I'm committed to the gospel, I'm coming to you, I wanna encourage you, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, but there is a problem with the world and the problem is sin. And it causes pain and destruction and it is devastating. In the last part of the chapter, it lists the results. The resulting devastating sinful habits. And if you're taking notes on the back, it says resulting sinful behaviors. There's two blanks. Anything and everything. <laughs> the, result, the result of a sinful mindset, you can't list them all. Paul tries to, he maybe lists groups, but anything and everything is a result of a sinful mindset. You gotta go back to that first section, just verse 24, where it says, so God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Just referring to sexual immorality. Sexual immorality of whatever kind, it's a kind of a general statement. They did degrading things. And then in verse 26, he starts to list some of the things. And this is the cesspool, really, of the passage. We can get through it and then we'll pull the wipes out and we'll clean our hands off. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Now, note that there is a holy sexual intimacy between a husband and wife, and that all other sexual experiences are sin, and apart from God's plan. Now that lands us in deep trouble in our society. And the community of our society, that is not polite company. That is not what you say to people. But again, to be honest about what sin is and what sin does, but then also to be honest about the love and care that God has for his people. God wants us to know the truth. And then also, to be honest, about two different things. Who we are, our identity, 
and then what we do, our behavior. And in our society, often what happens is people start identifying themselves in groupings by what they do. Those are really okay, like hobbies and clubs. But when they're very sinful lifestyles and they identify themselves here, instead their identity is who they are and God defines who we are. God gives us our identity. And he wants to stamp indelibly on our heart, child of God, child of God. Now, it would be another message where we would talk about the issue of same-sex relationships, but I just want to read you very quickly because it's, it's a long topic. And it's, a, and it's an important topic because there's truth and there's teaching from God's word. And then there's also the reality of real lived lives by people. And the care that we have for people and the love that we have for people. But back in Genesis chapter one, verse 27, it says this, that God created mankind, humanity in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We can decide to think whatever we want to. We can choose how we want our culture to be, you know, as a group of people. But we can't put ourselves in the place of the creator who decided to make mankind like him, people like him. And in the image of God, he created them. And then male and female, both men and women, both boys and girls, reflect the image of God. They're people, like God is a people. God is a person. He's got personhood. And so do we. And then in the next chapter, it talks about God naming all the animals, right? And it says, for Adam, after he named all the animals, there was no suitable helper found for him. So you know the story, how it goes. The Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed the place up with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said this, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she will be called woman for she was taken out of man. And then the writer says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. And with that statement, it goes on throughout scripture talking about male and female, men and women, talking a lot about opposites, sometimes opposites that are very, very opposite and then sometimes opposites that really they're the same but they're a little different. Like men and women are the same in some ways, but they're different. They're not exactly the same. There's opposite there. So then you get to Matthew 19, and they ask Jesus about, is it, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus could have just said, yeah, yes or no. But he says, haven't you read that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female? Oh man, that's a whole other story, right? with gender identity. This is God's stuff. This is the stuff that's in God's hands and he's got loving hands. He's got loving hands. 
We shouldn't take these things into our own hands. I know there's always, there's always a far out thing that happens to some of us. We have to deal with those things compassionately and honestly. But God created people, male and female. And, and he said, for this reason, Jesus said, a man will leave his father and mother. There's implication just in that phrase, father and mother. What is that implying? It implies something. And be united to his wife, the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And I get to say those words in 20 days at my final child's wedding, Mitch's wedding. Let no one separate. And then Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 5, this is a great mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. There's a big story here. There's a, there is a very large divine philosophical approach to all of this. We can't just decide, well, I live in this country in this century, this country in that century. We're just going to do things the way we want. It falls into the foolish ideas about God. Because if we follow what, what God wants, it's, it's always going to go better for us. So now, having said that, Jesus is full of grace and truth, right? Grace and truth. One without the other is heresy and blasphemy. Truth without grace, truth without love, it's heresy. There's, it's, 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 no, it's a, a three-headed monster. Truth without love. Nobody wants to live with somebody who has all truth and no love. But love and grace without truth, it doesn't exist. For one, it doesn't exist. Because inerrant in it is the truth. But if you try to strip the truth out of it, what is that? This is not good for anybody. Ah, you don't have to take your medicine. Ah, don't worry about your pills tonight. Ah, you're fine. Ah, you don't have to follow the doctor's advice. Ah, you're fine. You're just, oh yeah, just do whatever you want to do. Oh sure, you want to play out in the road? Go play out in the road. Like that's, that's, like, that's ridiculous, right? We know that's ridiculous. So if we're going to hold to the truth of God's word, inerrant in that is that we hold it in love. There's the challenge. There's the challenge. Because if we're really going to be true to God's word, we really have to be loving with the truth. And if we're really going to be loving with people, we have to be truthful with them about what the word of God says. That's the challenge of the follower of Jesus. So back to the text in uh, verse 28, it says, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, they, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. And then he goes on to list these things that should never be done. Their lives become full of envy or full of every kind of wickedness, every kind, sin, every kind of sin, every kind of greed and hate and envy, murder, quarreling. Quarreling is right next to murder. We, we kind of rank those, right? Deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. See, what we see in this passage, this isn't a passage about same-sex relationships. It mentions it in here. It's not what the passage is about. The passage is about the devastation of sin, all sin, including gossip, including greed, including deception, 
three things that our society and by extension many of us can easily slip into and hardly even notice it. Oh, did I, did I not represent that exactly accurately? I didn't mean to deceive you. I mean, I, I like my stuff, but I really like what you have. That's kind of a staple of our society. Greed, right? I mean, we get marketed to constantly for what? To foment within us greed for more. It means we'll work harder and we'll spend more and we'll get more. The engine of our economy, right? Because capitalism is good. And it is good, but, but we get all these things mixed together. See, so easily in our lives, we can just... We can just forget that we're being greedy or that we're quarreling or that we're deceiving somebody or that we're gossiping about somebody. And God is saying all these sins, these are, these are things that should never be done. Verse 30, he says, they are backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, which means rude and arrogant. Oh, that's never prevalent in our society except for like every day, everywhere. Proud and boastful. They, they actually, they patent new ways of sinning. They invent new ways of sinning. And they disobey their parents. We got kids in here? You got an issue going on with your folks right now? My eyes are blurry. I can't see you. I'm not looking right at your face. But if you're a kid in here and you've got an issue going on with your parents says they disobey their parents. That is, a, that, is like say, that is saying it's really, really bad to disobey your parents. That's what this passage is saying. Obviously, would we want you to disobey your parents or murder your parents? Because they're both sins. Yeah, but I'd rather you disobey them. But I'd rather you don't do either because God's saying it's all, it's all gonna be destructive. It's all gonna be devastating. It's not like it's okay to disobey your parents as long as you don't injure them. It's not okay. It really isn't okay. And then it says they refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless. And they have no mercy. Wow. Those are the things that ought never be done. But see, but that's the devastation of sin. Sin is devastating. So if you're a believer this morning, if if you are one with Christ and you've accepted his forgiveness through his work on the cross, if you believe that he's the Messiah, the Savior, through his resurrection from the grave, then the devastation is in the past for you. The last verse, well, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And even worse, they encourage others to do them too. So I have three screens here. Without faith in Jesus, God the Son who died for our sins, we are lost. This is devastation. We are devastatingly lost in our sins. We're in devastating bondage to sin. We're devastated as a slave to sin. Without Jesus, we are. But faith in Jesus, the Savior, it frees us from sin. It frees us from its power, and it frees us from the control of sin over us, and it allows us to live in light 
It allows us to live in love. It allows us to experience real life. And then the devastation of sin, or I'm sorry, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will not perish, but have eternal life. And the one who believes in the Son has life. He who has the Son has life. So we've talked about sin and how devastating it is. And some people could think, oh, well, there's God again telling us what to do. Yeah, but you tell your kids what to do. Why? Because you want to be the boss and you want to be bothered with having to take care of every little act? No. You just tell them what to do because you love them. Because you want them to be blessed. You You want them to have a good life. If we being evil can be that way with our kids, God who is holy and completely other and who is love, how do you think he feels about us? And he tells us to do the things that will bless us. Last slide. The devastation of sin moves us, moves us in the direction of a thankful heart and an evangelistic urgency. For those of us who have placed our faith in Christ, whew, I'm glad that we get to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Praise God. Thank you, God. Thank you. Don't deserve it. Grateful for it. And then an urgency. An urgency for those who are lost because they need Jesus. They need Jesus. They're suffering, suffering the devastating effects of sin, and only Jesus can release them to light and life and freedom. And then the the devastation of sin moves us in the direction of the love of the forgiving, saving, triune God. If you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior, if you've never said, yes, Jesus, I believe you, forgive me, forgive me, take over my life, forgive me of all my sins. Today is the day to do that. Today is the day. Let's pray together. Our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you're truthful with us. You don't tell us what we want to hear, but you tell us what we need to hear. But you love us, ultimately, you love us, God, so much. So much, you love us into the truth. You love us into the light. If we would only respond, if we would only repent, ask for forgiveness, be willing to turn to you, be willing to allow your power to flow through our veins in your love to fill our hearts, to help us to be the new people you want us to be. Lord, I pray if there's one here this morning who has never placed their faith in Jesus, they would just say, Lord Jesus, yes, 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 it's been too long, it's been too hard, my life is devastated by sin, I give it all to you, I'm a sinner, please forgive me, save me from my sins. Make me a child of God. I need your love. Lord God, we need your love. For those of us who have trusted in you, may we be filled with thankfulness and may we have a sense of urgency for those people in our lives without the freedom that Jesus brings. And God, for those of us who have maybe have never done this before, God, I pray that all of us would walk out of here knowing 
that the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven us and filled us with new life just because you love us. We thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.